We're in this series in the book of 1 Timothy, um, where the Apostle Paul writes this letter to his young disciple Timothy, who's now a leader in the church in Ephesus. And the reason why Paul writes this is to encourage and to teach Timothy about how ministry should be conducted in the church. Now, Paul, I love Paul because he's such a straight shooter. He just talks about the stuff that he needs to talk about. So, you know, he's talked already in this letter, he's talked about the really big topics about church, protecting the truth, you know, how to conduct public worship, you know, what does it mean to be a leader in the church, and then roles of men and women in the church. And actually, chapter 4 that we're in today is no different. Now, I'm going to give you the two main points, and then we're going to hit them up. The number one point that Paul's going to talk about is this word apostasy. And secondly, he's going to talk about what does it mean to uh, live, uh, sorry, ministry conduct, ministry living. Now, this word apostasy, uh, the definition will come up. The, the word apostasy means the abandonment or renunciation of a religious or political belief or principle. And apostasy is what Paul describes in verse 1 in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Woo, so positive, Paul, right? But this is reality. This is reality. The reality that we need to understand is that some of us in this room will not be here in the future. The reality of this world will tell us that even though you might consider yourself a Christian today, that you might tick that box today, does not guarantee that you will tick this box in the future. Apostasy talks about people who will abandon the faith and walk away from God. Now, of course, that's not what we want. You know, it's not something that we, we like talking about a lot, but this is just the reality. This is the reality that we live in. Now, I looked up some numbers. 1972, 36% of Australians said that they went to church regularly. 36%. Now, what's interesting is when you actually go further into the statistics, what it meant to go to church regularly was once a month. Now, in my books, that's not church regularly, that's monthly, okay? But according to the stats, it was once a month, right? At least once a month. That number, 36%, now is at 15%. You are all a part of the 15% of Australians that would say that they go to church regularly slash once a month. But years ago, it was a lot greater. And this number's not going to get bigger. The reality is this number's not going to suddenly hit a rise, right? It's just the reality we live in. So... Take a moment to look to the person on your left and look to the person on your right because at some time they may not be there or you might not be there. I don't know. Just remember their names and just pray for them. 
See, this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But, this, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. One, it's really hard to become a Christian. It's really hard to become a follower of Christ. But what's even harder is staying a Christian. I've been doing ministry for 15 years now. And I, I could list so many names that used to be here, used to be at my old church. And where are they now? Well, who knows? And that's reality. That's the reality we live in. Now, Timothy was dealing with believers who were turning away from the living God and becoming false teachers. Now, one of the interesting things about when people leave the church or when they leave God, they can give all sorts of reasons, right? I've heard them all. It's, it's, it goes from the very serious to the little bit comical, right? But they never leave God and go nowhere. When someone leaves God or when they leave the church, they always are leaving to go somewhere else. And that might be a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I've heard that one or seen that one. That might be when they get married. That might be when they move house. That might be to the temptations and the desires of this world. It might be their career. It might be their future. But when one leaves God, they don't just leave. They don't just leave in a vacuum, but they always leave to something. And what Timothy is dealing with in his church is that these people were leaving God and they were going towards false teachings. Now, what these false teachings are, I mentioned in verse 2 and 3. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. These false teachers were not only hypocrites, but they were enforcing on others things that God did not even enforce. Right? Don't get married. Don't eat certain foods. Now, this practice is called abstinence, right? Now, abstinence means uh, to, to withhold yourself from something. Now, the reason why these false teachers were teaching this was because they were, uh, in their minds, the practice of abstinence was a means of salvation. Staying pure and away from the evils of this world was how you gained salvation, how you were saved. But the problem with this is that we believe that you are only saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are only saved because of what Jesus did for you. And so when these false teachers are saying you, you are saved, but you can't get married and you can't eat certain foods, what they're saying is ultimately they're saying it's gospel Plus something. To be saved, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ plus something. But the problem is, as soon as you place a plus something, then Jesus is not the only way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is only a part of the solution. 
As soon as you say, you have to come to church every week or you cannot be saved. No, that, that means that Jesus died on the cross for you to get into church and then you need to earn that. And that's false. There is nothing. There is nothing we need to do but to trust in the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again on the third day. There is nothing. And anyone who says anything outside of that, they are a false teacher. I'm getting fired up. Paul addresses these false teachings and false teachers, and he gives Timothy some guidelines on how to conduct himself in ministry when you deal with this. And I think this is super important for us because I promise you, like you may or may not have dealt with this kind of stuff um, in public. I, I don't think we've really dealt with this publicly, but in the eight years in our church, we've had false teachers. We've had false teachings come and infiltrate into our church. So we need to know. We need to know how to deal with these things. And Paul's going to give Timothy four things that, that he teaches and leads Timothy to do. Number one, know the truth. In the first week of this series, we said that the only way you know what is false is by knowing what is true. Because only when you know what is true, everything else becomes false. The first thing that Paul mentions in this notion of is knowing the truth. Verse 3 to 5. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Verse 6, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. The only way we can battle false teaching and false teachers is when we know the truth. If someone brings a false teaching and you don't know what the truth is, you will just accept that to be the truth. So to combat that, we need to know the truth. That's the first thing. Second thing, we need to point things out. Point them out. Verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. It's one thing to know the truth. The next step is to act upon that truth. Paul says you need to point out false teachings. Now, Paul never said you need to be aggressive or rude or provocative, right? Paul doesn't say go and be a jerk about it, but he says that if you see something that's false or if you hear something that is untrue, you must point it out. But the problem is we don't. Because we live in a society that is beliefs, our beliefs are relative. You believe that. You believe what you think is true. I'll believe whatever I think is true. Don't touch me. Don't touch what I believe. Don't touch my opinion and I won't touch yours. And that's the society we live in. But Paul says this is not okay. Paul says you need to point them out. See, it doesn't mean you need to be confrontational about it. But it means that if you see something that's wrong, you need to bring it up. 
if you love someone and they're doing something wrong, sometimes we think, well, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to tread on their toes and I don't want to offend them. But if you love someone and they're doing something wrong, the most unloving thing you can do is just let them be. It's like if one of my kids is playing with a knife. Oh, man, that's not going to end well. Oh, that's pretty bad. Oh, I don't think this is going to be good. You know, who am I to tell you what to do? You just do you. You be you. Kid chops a finger off. You know, like, that's so unloving. But the loving thing to do is to go and say, look, these scissors or this knife, this is really dangerous. Don't do that. That's wrong. But we can't do that or we don't do that. Well, some of us don't do that. Some of us like doing that, but that's a different problem, right? Some of us find joy in doing that. As I said, that's a different problem. We'll talk about it on a different day. That can also be sinful too. But for some of us, the idea of confronting someone or saying something out aloud is like the worst thing in the world, right? All you peacemakers, right? It's like you, you're like, you see something that's wrong and you know you should, but you just can't. Why? Because you're afraid of what that person thinks or you're afraid how you're, you're going to be received, right? But Paul says, look, the loving thing is you've got to bring it up. But be nice about it. It doesn't say be a jerk about it, right? You need to bring it up because that's the loving thing. Number three, so know the truth, point them out. Number three, don't be distracted. Verse seven, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Paul says to Timothy, don't waste time in myths and things that have no basis in the truth. Don't be distracted by the things on the peripheral, but be focused on what the main thing is. Now, here's a question. What is the definition of a godless myth or an old wives' tale? Right. I'm going to go out on a ledge and I'm going to tell you 99.9% of conspiracy theories are a waste of time. Okay? I'm not looking this way. Okay? I'm not looking this way because you might be the 0.01% pastor, mate. But I'm just saying, that's my personal opinion. Right? But I also believe that 99.9% of what's on Facebook is also a waste of time. Like, really, who cares about what Aries you are or what Scorpio you are? Or, you know, if you're born in April, you will meet a millionaire. But if you were born in May, you will meet someone who's broke. You know, like, we spend so much time and energy on things that don't matter. And what Paul's saying is, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Stay away from the distraction. As I said, that's the disclaimer. Maybe some conspiracy theories are correct. Mm. Move on. Number four, pursue godliness. Verse eight to ten. For physical tra- I love this verse. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding Uh, promise for both the present life and the life to come. That should be my life verse. Physical training is overrated. That's my translation. But godliness is very important. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we put 
our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Friends, godliness is not just good Christian character. Godliness is the quality or practice of confirming to the laws and wishes of God devoutness and moral uprightness. To be wise is to live in godliness, reflecting the nature of the kingdom of God in the course of everyday life. Christian author Jerry Bridges says this, No higher compliment can be paid to a Christian than to call him a godly person. He might be a conscientious parent, a zealous church worker, a dynamic spokesman for Christ, or a talented Christian leader, but none of these things will matter if at the same time he is not a godly person. Isn't that the truth? It means you can have everything on the surface. You can tick every box you want to tick. But inside, if you are not filled with the character of God, if you are not godly, then it doesn't matter. Because people see straight through it. You can say all the right answers. You can do all the right things. But if when people see you, if godliness is not a fruit of the Spirit that is obvious, then it doesn't matter what you do. Right? Paul says that the way we respond to false teaching and false teachers is to be godly, to pursue godliness. Know the truth. Point it out. Don't be distracted. Pursue godliness. Now, in the second half of this passage, Paul then rapid fires a whole list of things for Timothy to follow in verse 11 to 16. And there's like seven or eight commands that's given by the Apostle Paul, but there's one overarching thing that stands out, and it's this command to say, have integrity. Having integrity means that you live in accordance to your deepest values, you're honest with everyone, and you always keep your word. Paul says to Timothy, the way to conduct yourself in ministry, the way to conduct yourself in the church is to have integrity. Be consistent in what you believe and how you live. Be honest to yourself and to everyone, and keep your word. Let's go through these verses and you'll see it. Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul says, regardless of age, set the example. Set the example for what you believe and what you do. Integrity. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Paul says, do the things that really matter. Immerse yourself in the things that really matter, the things that are, that are the closest to your heart. Public reading of Scripture, preaching and teaching, invest your time into these things. Verse 14, do not neglect your gifts which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Don't neglect the spiritual gifts that you have. God has given us all different spiritual gifts, but many of us, we don't exercise them or we choose not to exercise them for various reasons. But the two main ones are this. Number one, the fear of what other people think. And number two, False humility. False humility. Do you know false humility is just another form of pride? 
Because pride is saying, I'm this level when you're only here, right? False humility is when someone says that you're here or when you know you're here, you purposely take this level because you just want to look pitiful, right? That's also pride too because you're not being honest. False humility is just you're just not being honest with yourself and with others. Paul says, be honest with yourself and your strengths and weaknesses and your gifts. And don't neglect your gift. That's integrity. Verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. To be diligent doesn't mean to be busy. It means to put into practice what you believe. Right? And the crazy thing about integrity is that it happens in front of everyone. Right? It doesn't matter how good you are at being an in, I, mean, I don't even know what the word is. Integrous? Integrous person. I don't know. Someone with integrity. Right? An integrodite. No, just kidding. Just. <laughs> <laughs> it lives in the word of integral. I don't know, right? It doesn't matter how honest you are and, and, and how much integrity you have in front of the mirror because if you're outside and you're completely the opposite person, you don't have integrity because you're not honest, right? Verse 16, and this is the key verse. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your life and your doctrine. Your life and your doctrine, what you believe and how you live. Be consistent. There has to be consistency or you cannot have integrity. Quote, right doctrine without a godly life is of no value. Right? right doctrine without a godly life is of no value, but a godly life without right doctrine is not possible. Friends, one of the greatest barriers for people coming to church, people coming to Jesus, sadly, is the church itself. It's us. It's the people. We are our worst enemies. This is what Paul would call hypocrisy. You know, you hear this all the time. Church, Christians, biggest hypocrites in the world. And, 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 and I, I can't even defend that because we are. But what Paul says and what Paul is advising Timothy is to, is to work on a godliness, integrity, and consistency. That's how we conduct ourselves in the church. That's how we conduct ourselves as the church. So, Here's the very real question today. How godly are you? How much of godliness is a part of your life? How consistent is what you believe and how you live? How consistent is your life and your doctrine? If someone saw you outside the church, a workmate, a school friend, a family member, would they know by the way you live, by the way you speak, by the way you use your time, would they know that you are an example of the Christ, Lord Jesus, whom you say you represent? I'll be honest, this is a very confronting thought. And I am completely okay 
if you are offended. I am completely okay for you to be offended tonight because I would rather you be offended tonight and for you to consider and think about your life and think about where you are going with Jesus in your life than than to just sugarcoat and go, well, you know, it's okay, you know, or, you know, you just have to try a little bit harder and, oh, you know, like, it'll be fine in the end. It won't. That's why Jesus says the gate, the wide gate leads to where? To destruction. But the narrow gate, it's so hard to find the narrow gate, right? It's so easy to find the wide gate. You don't even have to look for the wide gate. You're already there, right? But it's so hard to find the narrow gate. But not only the narrow gate, but the path, the wide path is the one that goes to destruction. But the narrow path is the one that leads to eternal life. That's why we say to become a Christian is so difficult, but to stay a Christian is even more harder. The reality is that for some of you, your desire for God is paper thin at best. You show me your life. You show me your time. You show me your finances. You tell me what you did this week. And I can tell you whether you're holding on to this for dear life or you, you just playing church. you just playing Christianity. You know, for some of you, it's just a moral obligation. Sunday, I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to disappoint my pastor. So I better get off my butt and go to church. For some of you, it's just the right thing to do. For some of you, it's just habit. My mom went to church, and her mama went to church, and her mama went to church, and her mama went to church, and then there was Eve. You know, like just escalated quickly there, right? You know, honestly, for some of you, and don't, don't like, if you're looking at me, don't look away because then I'll know for sure, right? But some of you came not because of God, but because of another member of the opposite gender. I'm just saying, don't look away. Don't look away. Because as soon as you do, it straight away, I know. And later I will help you if you ask me. <laughs> I don't know why Pastor May is walking up and going, she was offended by that comment. <laughs> I know, I'm so sorry, Pastor May. We love you. So does Jesus. You know why I crack jokes in moments like this? Because if I don't, I'm going to cry. I'm dead serious. While I was reading this and while I was preparing it and really like while I was praying for our church and our community, like people's faces came to mind and I just couldn't stop crying because you know what? The reality is, of course, in my heart of hearts, I want this to be in heaven. I want everyone to get to the end of the day, but I know, and I'm going to look up because I don't want to offend anyone in this one, but I know not all of you are going to get there. Sorry, it just it shouldn't look there straight away. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. <laughs> you know some of you, right? To hold on to Jesus, to get to the end, 
you have to go all in. There's no other way. There's no other way. But some of you, you're fooling yourself. Oh, I can have Jesus and I can have my career. I can have Jesus and I can have comfort and security. I can have Jesus and I can be famous. I can have Jesus and I can have things of those. And I'm telling you now, you can't. You can't. You either follow one or the other. That's why Jesus says in verse 16, 24, Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his son, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But if you can't do that, then you'll never get there. If you can't commit to Jesus by denying yourself, taking up your burden, the cross of the, 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 the cross that Christ died on, and to follow Jesus with every part of your life, I'm telling you, you, are, you will not hold on to him strong enough and you will fall away. That's reality. And that scares me. You know, there's this verse in the scriptures where this man, he, he sees Jesus on the last day. He says, Jesus, I went to church every week. I prayed. I gave my offerings. I served. And Jesus turned around and looks at him and says, I'm sorry. I don't know you. Now, I don't say this to scare you. I say this because I believe that God wants each and every one of us to have a bit of a reality check tonight. I promise you coming to church on a Sunday does not mean that you will be saved. The only way you will be saved is by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. But I'm telling you now, there is no other way. Because as soon as you start putting good works in there, as soon as you start putting church attendance in there, as soon as you start putting your offering in there, it becomes gospel of Jesus plus something. And that plus something is false. It's Jesus and only Jesus. Your spouse will not save you. Your children will not save you. Your parents will not save you. Your money will not save you. Your good deeds will not save you. Only Jesus will save you. Problem is, we're trying to hold on to everything. We're not holding on to Jesus. So where does that leave us today then? It leaves us with a choice. And the choice is this. You leave everything. And you follow Jesus. Or you follow everything and you leave Jesus. That's it. And I know some people are like, you know what? I, I, yeah, I, I get that choice. I get that decision. But, you know, I'm still so young. You know, I still want to get my career on track. You know, like I know this is just a busy period at work for me. You know, I just had kids. And, you know, I, I, I just want to like raise my kids a little bit before they come into church and whatnot and whatnot. And then excuse and then reason and then justification and then excuse and then reason. I'm just telling you. That itself, you have made a choice. See, a lot of the times, right? We think that when we're silent, right, we're just not making a choice. 
right? When we choose not to make a decision and just remain in silence, we think, oh, no, I'll just wait. I'll just wait till the right time. I'm telling you, that silence, that decision to, to wait, you've made your choice. The silence is as loud as any other decision that you've made. Sometimes we think that we can make this choice later in our lives. And I'm telling you, by you even thinking that you've made your choice with Jesus right now, the problem is if Jesus was to come right now, you'd be stuffed. There's no other way to put it. You've got a choice. Every single one of us has that choice. See, the beauty of our God is this. He will never force that choice. He will never force you to choose him. He will never force you to love him because he loves us so much. God loves us so much that he will never make you go to him. He wants to give you that freedom. He wants you to make that choice. And you know what? And I think there's two main things about this, right? Number one, if you want to make that choice, and you know what, even for me, right? Like I know I'm going off, right? And of course, I have a preference of choice that, that I want you to make. Of course, I want you to choose God, right? But I can't make that choice for you, you know? You can't go to heaven, stand before God, right? And then God's like, well, how come you never made that choice? And you, you, you can't go, well, you know, I was at Pastor Stephen's church. That doesn't fly. It might fly on earth. You might get a beating. I apologize for that, okay? But that's not going to fly. I don't make that decision for you. I make that decision for myself. I can't even make that decision for my wife and kids. I make a choice for myself, which means you need to make a choice for yourself. But what Scripture is saying tonight is this. If you're going to choose God, choose Him wholeheartedly. Let your doctrine and your life be consistent have integrity in the decisions that you make in your life meaning if you're going to believe it which is great if you're going to follow Jesus which is amazing then follow him follow him with everything don't follow him with two hours on a Sunday afternoon prayers just before your meal just in case God decides to poison your food Right? Follow him with every ounce of your life. And you know what? Sometimes we make that sound like a chore. We make that sound like a burden. But can I tell you, following Jesus, there is no greater joy than following Jesus in every area of your life. There is no type of freedom that you will ever experience but when you follow Jesus, your career, your finances, getting married, having kids, all of that. When you allow yourself to give that up to God and when you surrender your life to God and you say, I trust you in my life, there is no greater peace that you will ever be able to experience on earth. I promise you that. And that's what scripture says to us. So it's not a burden to follow Jesus. It's not like you have to be like, you know, I need to go, like mom says, go and play with your younger siblings. You know, it's like, you know, it's not like that. It's the greatest joy. It's the greatest blessing. But it's just you don't trust God.
You don't trust God that that's the case. And so you try to hold on to things yourself. But I'm saying, if you're going to choose God, choose him. None of this gray. None of this one foot in, one foot out. None of this, I'm going to follow him when it's convenient. And when I get busy, then I'll come back in six months. That's rubbish. Go play golf then. Like don't, you know. Was that offensive? Sorry. I apologize for that. But here's the thing. Here's the other flip side of the coin. If you don't want him like that, that's okay. It, it, my heart breaks and my heart cries because I know that you might have a great time on this life, but your eternity is going to really be sucky, you know? But I think what Scripture is telling us today is whatever decision you make, live that out. Be consistent. Have integrity. The beauty of our God is this. When we choose God, we don't lose. We might lose in the worldly sense. You know, someone was talking to me about tithing the other week. How we, we give 10% of all of the income that we receive. And one of the reasons we do that is because we're going to trust God. We, and, and, and this is what the book said, right? When we're talking about this. I would rather trust God with 90% of my income than trust myself with 100%. Right? If you're going to follow God, follow God properly. Right? It's like if you get married. Imagine that, right? You get married and then you only turn up two days a week. Or you only turn up when it's mealtime. Or you only do things that you have to do to stay married, but there's no, it's not all of your life. That's a rubbish. That's one, it's a rubbish marriage. And secondly, it won't last. And that's what I'm saying. When you play in this gray, and here's the warning, you, a very good chance, you will fall away from God because you are not giving him everything. That's apostasy. And that's what scares me. Because I know that there are some of you here, there are some of you online, that you are trusting in the fact that you go to church and that you serve and that you pray before meals and that you can talk the Christian jargon language, or your parents are Christian, you're trusting in that rather than your living relationship with Jesus. And that's what scares me. Because all those other things, they won't last. I promise you, they will not last. So, reality check. What's your reality tonight? What's your reality? What's the reality that you're facing tonight? Is this what you really want? The three guys getting baptized on Saturday, that's what they're declaring before their friends and family. This is my choice. Friends, if you want it, then live it. Take it. Embrace it. But if you don't want it, that's okay. That's your choice. You have to live with that. But don't lie to yourself. Don't fool yourself. You ain't fooling nobody. You can fool everyone in the church, but I promise you on that last day, you will be the fool. 
Have integrity. If God is what you want, then have him. He is available for you. That's the beauty of our God. He makes himself available to each and every one of us. But if you don't want it, then don't play. It's all right. Friends, if you want this, don't just say it, but live it. Be honest. Be consistent. Have integrity. And I pray that tonight, that every single one of us will have a moment where we just take a moment to check our own reality and really know what it is that we want. And my hope and prayer is that you would choose God and that you would follow him. Let's pray.